everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, a special 2020 edition. This series, I'll be speaking with leading consultants, educators, and academics who are passionate about positive education to learn from them about their experiences and journeys in creating flourishing students, educators, and whole school communities. Join me as we learn from these inspiring individuals. Today, I'm speaking with Clive Leach. Clive is an organisational coach and proud graduate of the Master of Organisational Coaching Program, the University of Sydney Coaching Psychology Unit, where he graduated in 2008. Clive works extensively within the corporate, public and education sectors as an organisational coach, as well as designing and facilitating highly rated workshop programs on wellbeing, resilience, mental toughness, coaching skills and positive education. Since 2009, Clive's education-based work has included interventions for leading international schools, high schools, special schools and universities in Australia, Asia, Europe, Middle East, the US and the UK. Clive's also participated as an advisor and coach in a groundbreaking schools and youth coaching research study, the Helmsman Project, conducted through the University of Sydney. In recognition of his work in schools since 2016, Clive has been a global representative for the International Positive Education Network, IPEN. Clive has also been visiting, lecturer, teaching on the world's first Masters of Science in Applied Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology, the MAPCP, at the University of East London since 2016. A former head of youth and community education services in the UK, Clive has a teaching qualification from the University of London Institute of Education. So welcome, Clive. Thanks so much for coming on to the Pioneers of POSED Special Edition 2020. Hello, Susie. <laughs> so great to have you here. And of course, you're in the UK currently and have been for a few years now after spending many years here in Australia. Yeah, that's right, Susie. I moved back to the UK 2016. Yeah, it's been four years. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. It has gone very fast. And of course, we had the opportunity to meet when you were here in Sydney. And for how many years were you here? Um, I was uh, 2007 to 2015, so I was there for, uh, yeah, so what is that, eight years, seven or eight years. Yeah. Amazing, Clive, and, and through the uh, coaching psychology unit uh, where we got to meet and then, of course, you worked with me as an associate for the Positivity Institute for many years and uh, we were very sad to lose you, but, of course, I've had the wonderful opportunity of connecting up with you in the UK on a number of occasions and also at uh, a lot of the international positive psychology and coaching psychology conferences. Yes, absolutely. And I, I always say, actually, one of the things I always talk about is that I graduated from Sydney University in 2008, yeah. but I think I'm still there. You know, I, st- <laughs> I think my those connections and relationships that I developed 12 years ago now are still very, very strong in my life, which is a, an absolute uh, honour and privilege. Yes. And look, as you know, it's spreading globally, the field of coaching psychology. And of course, you've also had the wonderful opportunity to work and lecture in the MAPCP, which is the Masters of Postpsych Coaching Psych, which is was the first in the world at the University of East London, Clive. Yes, I have. And I think and what amazes me is, is over, you know, I was working with them over the last three years, particularly, and to see the 
the, the reach of their graduates. It's amazing. You go onto things like LinkedIn and I'm seeing so many of the students out there in the world doing such amazing things. So these programs are so powerful for applying what we learn. I think that's the key thing. It's about getting out there and doing something with it, which is so wonderful. Absolutely. And um, we've also had the opportunity to co-author a number of chapters and articles over the years, <laughs> starting with, now just tell me, what was the correct title of that first journal article? So Flourishing Youth Provision was the first article, which is going back to 2011, yes. when we were exploring the potential role of positive psychology in enhancing youth services. And I think that there's never been a more important time for that. Mm. So I think we were certainly at the forefront of trying to get that, that recognition that positive psychology has a role to play in, in youth and community education. Yeah, so that was your sort of uh, early career, Clive. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and how that, I guess, led to coaching psychology and then into positive education? So I guess I started my career, you know, I was trained as a teacher, but started my career as a, a youth and community worker. And I was pretty good at it, I have to say, but <laughs> and very quickly got asked to become a manager. And that's when things started to, to go wrong. In a sense, I still love the job and I work really hard. But what I've discovered since is, of course, I was working to my learned behaviors that mm. I spent many, many years working really hard and doing pretty well, but becoming more and more stressed, sort of almost disengaged <laughs> around what I was doing and got to a point, you know, in 2000, 2001, where I was sort of, you know, quite successful, I guess, as a leader of education services. I really felt that I'd, I'd had enough and I needed to take a break. And that break allowed me to do a little bit of reflection. I was based in Asia for a few years, teaching at a university there. And I, and I started to think about, well, actually, what had I enjoyed about my career? And it had never been managing people. It had always been enabling people, capacity building, we used to call it in the community development type of sector. And it gave me an opportunity to think about, well, what would it look like maybe if I had a, a career, had a, had a role that would allow me to be more of a, an enabler and a capacity builder? And that's what brought me to coaching. And after doing some initial life coaching training, um, I thought, wow, this is something which you know seems really interesting, really up my street. And I'd love to think about how I could develop a career in this space and started to look at how I could get a, you know, a top level qualification and came across the University of Sydney and the coaching psychology unit, which was and still is, you know, seen as the front runner in the world around evidence-based coaching. So I signed up for the program, um, met Tony Grant the very yes. first night. And I always say this because it's absolutely true. The very first night sat in the quadrangle at University of Sydney, <laughs> hearing Tony talk about evidence-based coaching. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's wow. what I am. That's what I yes. do. So I, it just, for me, it was a revelation because I think it's my calling. It's what I'm, I'm meant to be. And when I've been acting in that type of capacity um, in the past, I was certainly able to feel I was at my best. And so having the opportunity to do that program, and I've said this before, you've heard me say it, met you second semester. Yes. Um, and I say that, that three months learning about positive psychology with you changed my life um, in terms of an opportunity to both affirm myself, but also to find tools to use, to apply from my own well-being that have sustained me ever since. And that's absolutely true that um, I wouldn't be here today without having met people like you and Tony and Michael Kavanagh at the time as well, obviously, was hugely influential. And that sort of brought me into the world of coaching psychology and positive psychology. And, and then I guess I made it my mission. What it did, it reignited in me, if you like, my, my passion for education. But I was always determined I didn't want to be pigeonholed back in education. So I made it my 
my mission, if you like, to apply my learning across the business sector, the public sector, which I have a huge passion for, and the education sector. And that's actually what I did. So once I graduated, I hit the road, if you like, and, and got out there and tried to create opportunities across those different sectors through my network, um, which was so powerful for me. Um, didn't even know I had one, really, <laughs> until I until I suddenly found myself in a position of needing to go out and talk to people and engage with people about something I was so passionate about. And and really through my network um, over the last 10 years, I've been able to build up this amazing international practice across all these sectors, which has been really wonderful. It is amazing, Clive, isn't it? And such diversity. And you often hear advice to, uh, you know, up and coming entrepreneurs or business owners to find your niche or niche, I think they call it in the US. But but I I guess I'm... uh, quite a lot like you too, because for me, it's the same stuff, if you like. It's the same science and it's just with different audiences, but it is really truly about helping people to be their best selves or to live their best lives. So yeah, so it's, and I consider it a privilege to be able to do the work in education, as I'm sure you do too. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. And so your work is global and how's that been going through 2020, Clive. <laughs> Interesting. Well, my diary, I managed to get to Tokyo in uh, February yes. and then on to Sydney and Monaco. So oh, I wow. actually did, a, I, I, got, I got a bit of travel in in the first part of the year, then came back from Australia into virtually into lockdown. And of course, you know, like many, many other people, my planned work, I mean, in the education context, particularly with the international schools, has ground to a halt because it's just been impossible to do that travel. Having said that, Zoom, thank God for Zoom, um, <laughs> Zoom appeared. And, and so what I've been able to do, joking apart, is over the last six months is try to keep in as regular touch with the schools that I'm engaged with as possible, both locally and internationally. And that has then sort of followed on in terms of doing various bits and pieces. So I've been able to still do full faculty briefings on Zoom to hundreds of people in different locations. (laughs) I've been able to run some uh, coaching conversation workshops. um, I'm supporting a number of wellbeing champion groups at the moment via Zoom and doing quite a bit of one-on-one coaching, So, which is wonderful. So I'm having an opportunity to do um, the one-on-one work as well. And then sort of weave that in between sort of the other work I do, which is UK based, which is more in the executive and leadership coaching space. So actually, um, I've been able to maintain, I'd say I've been able to maintain the relationships, keep things going. And I'm hoping, we're all hoping that uh, post, well, not post COVID, I don't think there's ever going to be a post COVID as such, but certainly when the situation improves, Mm -hmm. um, I'll be able to get back out there and see people face to face. And I have missed it. I, ha- I have to say, I've had a couple of, I didn't say disasters, but you know, when, you, when one's trying to engage people via Zoom or, or Skype in the way that one does when one stands on the stage, it's very yes. different. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm just learning to tone down the approach slightly. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's good learning. It's, it's fantastic learning because this is you know, the way of the world and, and we can't always guarantee that we're going to be able to travel. And maybe at some point we might not be able to or want to travel in the way that we've done in the past. So it's been good. That's really uh, wonderful to hear because our experience at the Positivity Institute this year is a lot of the schools that uh, we had booked in or had ongoing engagements with had actually decided to postpone and they really said they had a preference for doing it face-to-face and perhaps they were more hopeful that things might have moved a lot faster than what they have this year, actually. So uh, we're we're quite busy in 2021. But I think like you, Clive, uh, as you know, and you were part of the, the conference that we held with Perth College in 
I think it was June this year, the Flourish 2020 conference, that one of the, I guess, the beauties of not being able to travel and opening it up to a virtual audience is that we had people from across the globe. And normally we've run the conference at Perth College, I think, for the last four years. And basically, if you live in WA or if you, you're, you're prepared to fly in, but we had a global audience. And I think right now with Positive Ed, as much as we've seen the momentum grow over the last few years, it's still got a long way to go in terms of people's interest interest and uptake globally. So I think that's a positive. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that certainly some of the schools I've, I've been working with have, have said, yes, of course, ideally, we'd love you to be able to come. But actually, they're recognising that this is important. We need to be talking about this now. Yes. You know, we can't wait until necessarily next year and hope that things are going to be, could be improved. And, and certainly, those schools that I'm engaging with, I think are getting as much value as they would have done, or maybe a different type of value, but certainly they're getting value from those online interactions. And I think you're right. I think the ability, I mean, I've, I've attended some really quite powerful online events myself in terms of my own professional development over the last six months, which probably I wouldn't have attended previously. So I think we've got to, again, taking a, a positive psychology view on this, we've got to look at the benefits. We've got to look at what we can actually learn and what we can gain from this experience. Yeah, and Clive, I guess I'm really curious because you really have been in the thick of POSED, in the rollout of POSED globally, and have learned a lot over the last 10 years since the, I guess, the official launch of POSED. As you would know, I guess, leading up to COVID, there was a strong focus on wellbeing and uh, I guess the proactive education to educators and staff, whole school communities around the science of wellbeing. We, including you, you and I have always had a focus on resilience as part of, I guess, our POSED approach and uh, mental toughness in particular. Has this year seen more of a focus on resilience than general wellbeing or what have the schools been asking for that you've been working with? Um, I th well, I think it's a combination. I think it's making the link between the two. And I think that the other really important part is understanding that well-being is so much more than getting over adversity, which comes back to their sort of more, more generic practice that we're supporting. Well, and I think that's that link to mental toughness, too. It's like I always try and talk about the distinction between the two as being, well, if we need resilience because life is going to throw things at us like COVID, yes. but we need mental toughness because there's still lots and lots of opportunities in the world. And we need to believe we can go out there and make the best of those opportunities, yeah, and step into challenge and learn from these more difficult and challenging times. So I think it's making that, that link is really powerful for people, but particularly the focus on just because we're going through a difficult time doesn't mean we don't still continue to try to be the best that we can be. No. So, Clive, just for our audience that may not be familiar with the mental toughness construct, could you quickly outline the four C's and explain how it is slightly different, if you like, or in some ways quite different from resilience? Yes. Yeah. Well, the, so the, well, the four C's of that, well, I, I suppose the definition that Doug Strachachik uses is that mental toughness is that ability to continue to perform at our best, regardless of the stresses and challenges and pressures we're facing. And irrespective of the circumstances, and I like to define that as some circumstances are outside of our control, take COVID, for example, that we've got to find a way to get through that. But other circumstances are things I'm choosing to do. I'm, I want to go to a great university as a young person, or I want to develop my entrepreneurial business as a young entrepreneur, as someone just starting out in life. So it's whether or not we're choosing to step into something or whether it's happening to us, it's how best we're able to manage that. So the four C's, we've got control, um, which is around our ability to control our emotions and, and take control, our sense of 
autonomy, I guess, in terms of our, our choices in life. We have commitment, which is around our ability to set goals and work and strive towards those goals. Arguably, it's also about knowing when to give up too. It's not just about constantly striving, but that ability to manage distractions is really important. Then we have the idea of challenge, which is when we are faced with a challenge, do we see it as an opportunity or a threat? You know, where do we see the opportunity for growth and learning, particularly? And I think that's a really important one. That yeah, and learning is sometimes unpleasant. You know, by learning we have to face pain and we have to face stress and anxiety that goes with the territory. But recognizing that we can actually learn and grow from that is really important. The fourth one is around confidence, and you know, the way I like to talk about confidence in mental toughness terms is one is am I confident in my abilities and my strengths? And we do an awful lot of work. Um, as you know, around the idea of strengths discovery and strengths awareness that people often don't even recognize they have strengths and resources to draw upon. So do I have the ability? Do I believe in my abilities? Um, am I able to be confident on an interpersonal basis, which is partly, I think, around the ability to step up and be heard and to be seen and turn down the humility sometimes that many people bring as a wonderful quality. But I think the other really important part that I always emphasize is the confidence to ask for help. Because I think a sign of a mentally tough person is someone who actually says, do you know what, right now I'm struggling, um, right now I need support. And I think and this is where coaching, I think, comes in because so many people, as we know, sadly, sometimes never ask for help or they only ask for help when things have got really bad. It's really serious. And we need something which arguably might be a more clinical type of intervention, where actually if we were able to access a support like coaching, when we're not actually depressed or highly distressed, we're just uncomfortable that we're not quite sure, actually coaching is a really amazing tool to help people to be comfortable asking for help. And of course, Clive, you and I have published a number of chapters on the integration or successful integration, ideally, of positive psychology and coaching psychology. So again, it'd be great for people listening in today to hear your thoughts about why coaching, evidence-based coaching is so important when it comes to positive education. Okay. Well, I think it's very simply summed up by the phrase, no one size fits all. And I say this constantly to teachers and school leaders and students, is that you're all different. I could come in and have a, have a wonderful opportunity to engage with all of you regarding strengths and mental toughness or whatever the themes might be. But what that means to each one of you is different because you're all different people. So what I believe is that what coaching does is provide that space for some reflection for, you know, if I've been given an opportunity to do a strengths assessment as an example, and I find out that I've got a number of strengths I can draw upon, which I wasn't really even aware of. Where do I get the opportunity to reflect upon that? Where do I get the opportunity to be asked, how do those strengths actually relate to my goals? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? Do I feel comfortable having a conversation with someone where I can say something I've never said before, which is actually, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to have my own business one day, and I want to do X or Y or Z. You know, where, where do we provide these spaces? And I think that's what the coaching, I think the combination of the positive psychology awareness, the well-being awareness, and all of the different interventions that we know potentially can work, that's fine. But the coaching provides a space for me to think about what does this mean for me? How can I be supported to move forward, take action, reflect on that action, learn as I go through? And then, of course, you know, what we also know from the coaching research is that the benefits of that are likely to be quite profound, both for me as an individual, but arguably for the people around us too. 
So actually, we're able to impact more positively on both our, in our organizations, in our communities, and in our family. And I think this is the other angle like, that comes up so often. You know, schools are organizations at the end of the day, whether you're working in business or corporate or public sector or a school, you're going to work as an educator, as an example, or a school leader, and work and home, life, have an impact on each other. And actually, sometimes by supporting people, arguably, you know, we talked about the old performance coaching, you know, Tony Grant's second generation of coaching, if you like, you know, that we provide leadership coaching and we do all of this stuff. But actually, leaders are parents, leaders are community members, leaders are friends, their sons, their daughters. And actually, they also need to be thinking about about their well-being and how that impacts. And I think the coaching provides the space for that too. I believe Robert Biswasdina, um, one of our colleagues who's been a leader in the field of positive psychology coaching, has been referring to coaching as a meta-intervention uh, that can be used to apply a range of, I guess, positive psychology theories and, and research and interventions, if you like. And I think, as you said, it allows us to make it personally um, meaningful, doesn't it? The content, so particularly for school, has invested in training, which we know transfer of training rates are historically quite low. So the coaching yep. can really allow us to personalise it. And of course, it doesn't have to mean engaging an external professional coach. It can be teaching not just the educators or the staff, but the students, some of the, the basic coaching skills in terms of having a coaching approach or a coaching conversation to Clive. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And there's a couple of stories I could tell you on that point, because I think that it sort of is dovetails quite interesting. Yes. But there was two things I wanted to highlight in this. One, one is um, a piece of coaching I was involved in where I've been involved in, in a school supporting the leadership team initially on, you know, talking about what well-being is and, and looking at some initial strategy development. When I was then asked by one of the school leaders a, a year or so later, for a conversation. And so I, I entered into the conversation with this particular school leader. And it was absolutely apparent from the conversation that this person was in distress, quite significant distress, to the point where I conducted a, a DAS, a depression, anxiety yes. and stress scale assessment, thinking that they may be depressed. And they, they weren't. So in the sense, they were in that, they were in that languishing place, um, where they were really struggling to experience sort of positive emotion, if you like, and were doubting themselves hugely um, as a parent, as a leader, um, really feeling they weren't actually adding value. And so we, we embarked on a number of strategies around trying to support this individual. And core to it was around prioritizing positivity and looking for moments on a day-to-day -day basis where this person could actually try and just take a bit of a step back and, and savor, practice some gratitude, engage with their positive energizers, you know, finding purposefully finding the people in their life who lifted them up rather than actually drained them. Because, you know, when one's in a leadership position, often we're supporting everybody else's problems and taking on everybody else's those challenges, interacting more with students, you know, sort of doing things that the person actually felt gave them more positivity. And, and that was, it was one, one of the strategies that we talked about. And I can't tell you how powerful it was because a year later, a year afterwards, I had an email from this person to say, how much the coaching had changed their life and that they were in such a different space by having taken this effort to try and actually look at the world from a slightly different context and invest in this, this element of positivity to the extent that they felt better as a parent, mm. they felt much better as a leader, and they could see the positive impact they were having, not just in their own institution, but actually in a much wider field beyond their own institution as well. So I thought that was a hugely powerful outcome. 
and the message there in that story is that you know this is that languishing space and how do we sort of help people to in a sense reclaim themselves to say well actually what's going on here that's causing this now of course lots of different things into get in the way but what the person also said which i thought was interesting was that actually a lot of the challenges and the stresses that were there two years previously were still there yes but they just felt so different. It wasn't like the world had changed. It wasn't the world was still VUCA. The world was still full of whatever was going on in it. But actually, their mindset had changed. That was so important. My second example was a very recent one that I'm involved in right now, where there's a school I'm working with who have a well-being strategy to a degree. There's certainly well-being is very much on their agenda. And they've got two young leaders. And I say young leaders in their, in their 40s, but sort of senior leaders, but young who the school values greatly. And they've been tasked with actually redesigning, if you like, the way that performance is managed within, within the school and want to bring in far more of a coaching style approach. But they wanted to be mindful of well-being. So they specifically asked me to do some work with these two leaders to help them to understand a little bit more about their own well-being and making that link between well-being and performance and engagement, et cetera, the things that we talk about. So the, the exercise has been sort of coming back to this psychoeducation space, yeah? Yes. And so it's about helping. It's about giving these two young leaders some of the, the theories, the tools, the practice, but also coaching to feel it, to experience it for themselves. And what has happened, which is, and it's ongoing, it's an ongoing process, which is why it's so exciting, is that not only has this actually enhanced their own well-being quite significantly, but they've been able to take that back into their school and have actually had such incredible feedback, both from their colleagues and from their school leaders in terms of what they've seen as the, not even a shift because these guys were flourishing already, but actually just the way they're engaging with people at school and the benefits that's beginning to have. Um, and I've seen some of the email feedback they've had, which is really, really powerful. So what you've got there is an example of what I would call two positive energizers. Yes. Yeah, they're recognized already as positive energizers in school. By providing them with this coaching opportunity, the school are doing exactly what you and I would say they should do is harness your positive energizers, all right? Don't let them burn out. Don't let them doubt themselves and get overly stressed. You know, and of course these guys have challenges. They have issues and challenges like everybody else. But the coaching is providing them with the space to reflect on those, get a sense of perspective. Focus on what is working. Is that all the things that we would want and hope a coaching conversation would do? And importantly, it means they're able to continue to uplift and enrich and engage the people around them. So I think you've got two examples in those two stories of that languishing, flourishing continuum. And the, my argument is that obviously the coaching, you know, the pulse psych and the well-being theories actually provide huge information, but it's the practice of the coaching that allows people to do something with it and hopefully with a positive impact. And that self-reflection space, which is so very rare in an educational setting, isn't it, where they're just going from one classroom to the next or from one meeting to the next, to be able to stop and mindfully, with the support of, uh, I guess, an encouraging coach to to uh, reflect on, on what's working well, uh, clearly, but also what are the things that they want to consciously want to start working on. And I think that is where that mindfulness or that 
consciousness, that, that awareness of how they want to be or how they want to do things differently into the future and having someone there supporting them through that is uh, what, because otherwise it's just the busyness of life, isn't it, Clive? And we all have great intentions, but it's yeah. so easy to get swept up in the mindlessness, busyness of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, which I've learned from my own perspective as well, is those spaces to be coached and even today are hugely powerful. I'm so fortunate that I have such a, a wonderful network of highly qualified and effective coaches that I'm able to draw upon to say, hey, you know, I need some space myself to have this reflection and to think about how I, I best manage myself and the opportunities I have. So walking the talk, I mean, I've recently just been doing a, a 60-day challenge as an example, you know. So when it comes to the five ways to well-being, I'm always be active, the exercise one, and is always <laughs> yeah. the one that I struggle with. And I've had a, a coach to support me around that. And I've been out there doing some work on my nutrition and my fitness and my weight. You know, and I feel really, really good about myself for doing that. But also, it is walking the talk. You know, none of us are perfect. And when I engage with schools around, you know, my own opportunities and my own challenges, it's important to show that we're drawing upon these these ideas ourselves. Absolutely, Clive. And for anyone that does follow you on uh, Instagram, <laughs> will know that you, it's not just walking the talk, it's walking the dog. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we know that you have a perma pup, which is uh, Miss, Miss May. And so uh, I guess your flourishing fact is that uh, Miss May certainly is a significant contributor to your well-being. Absolutely. So having a, I never realised having a dog was going to be such a joy, I have to say. I knew, I mean, you know, I, it's a funny thing, but she brings absolute positivity to my life you know she's a perma pup lots of emotion <laughs> positive emotions going on every day of the week that's for sure you've also uh, very kindly recorded for us a story for starlight and for those that don't know about that we've collaborated with the starlight children's foundation and uh, we have some people from the positive psychology world reading their favorite children's stories and clive's very kindly done one uh, where miss may features and that's been uh, <laughs> released does. today and you can access that from our website so clive as you know we could talk all till the cows come home as they say <laughs> here in australia mm. um, but unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up the afternoon. So um, before I ask you about a recommended book or podcast, is there one final tip or for someone that might be listening and is just new to positive education or any great learning that you think you'd, you know, wish you'd known in hindsight? One final tip. For me, I think the biggest learning is about me being able to be comfortable with myself mm -hmm. and not overthinking sort of my expertise and my value and my worth it can be a big derailer sometimes. It can stop us doing things. And I think that if you walk the talk yourself, I think if you believe in it and you can tell the stories, and I think the storytelling part, I used to think I was a terrible storyteller. <laughs> the race used to be one of my weaknesses. I think it's a strength, Clive. <laughs> you know, but it's become, you know, uh, check out stories for Starlight, but it's become yes. much more of a joy because I've got stories to tell these days. I've got examples. And I think, so being comfortable with yourself, and I think one of the things I pride myself on is when I go into the various schools I work in, and some of these schools I've been going into now for years, you know, I go in every year, and I am comfortable, but I create comfort. Yes. And I think that's a lovely thing to be able to do. That's what people tell me, that they're comfortable with me in their space. And that, I think, is the heart of it. Because if you can create a sense of comfort, it doesn't mean you've got to be nice to people all the time. It doesn't mean you don't challenge people. Yeah. But you create a sense of comfort. People are more likely to trust you. Therefore, they're more likely to be open about what's really going on. And then, of course, you can start to think about, well, what can we actually do in a constructive, positive way to alleviate those problems and embrace the challenges and the opportunities. 
Absolutely, Clive. And I would say you are definitely a positive energizer as well. <laughs> so, Clive, yes, any recommended book or podcast for anyone that wants to learn a bit more about any of the topics that we've spoken about today? Okay. Well, you might be a bit surprised about this one, Susie, but I did have a bit of a think about this. And I thought I've got to come back to the positivity prescription. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Seriously, which is, I mean, people are always bad to say that, isn't he? But your book, it's like a bit of a Bible, really. It's like it's, good, it's all there. And, I, and when I read it, not only do I hear you, which is wonderful, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you speak to me through the book, thank but you. it's a foundation. And again, because I, I do work across so many different contexts, it's so applicable whether it's school, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's a business sector. It doesn't, it's irrelevant of the sector. It's the message that is so important. So my go-to book certainly would be The Positivity Prescription, and it's one that uh, as I go around, you know, I will continue to highlight for people as something which is a, a really good foundation in, in the whole ream of positive psychology and, and potentially self-coaching or get yourself a coach alongside the book. As we said, that's the best approach. Thank you so much. And of course, it was only released this year. It was an interesting time to release a book of the title, Positivity Prescription. But yes, no, I'm very happy with the uh, the interest in it. So thank you so much, Clive. And thank You're you welcome. for everything that you do. You are such an incredible ambassador to the fields of positive psychology, coaching psychology, and positive education. And uh, we can't wait to hear more about the incredible work that you do, Clive. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and having perhaps a, a well-earned bubbles at some point into the future. Absolutely, me too. So you take care and good luck with all of your future endeavours this year. Thanks so much, Clive. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, special edition 2020. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education in your school, contact us at info at thepositivityinstitute.com.au to find out more information about our Pioneers of Positive Education Mastermind Group, which will be launching in 2021. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.